0: Welcome to Entheo Nation, where we feature visionaries who are pioneering the cutting edge of awakening. Psychedelic science, modern shamanism, neuroscience, new paradigm lifestyles. Get ready to harness the power of visionary states and forge reality into your wildest dreams. Powerful Evolutionaries, this is Lorna Liana, host of Enthio Nation, and in this episode we have a very special guest, Trinity de Guzman, the co-founder of Ayahuasca Healings, which claims to be the first legal ayahuasca church in the United States. Now, before we hop into the issues surrounding the ayahuasca healings controversy, I'd like to address the underlying concern around the increasing commercialization of ayahuasca in general. The commercialization of ayahuasca is an incredibly controversial topic and tends to bring up a lot of intensely emotional discussions in the ayahuasca community. On one hand, there are the hard costs associated with holding ceremonies, from transporting the plant materials, brewing the tea, replenishing candles, toilet paper, and guitar strings, not to mention the time and energy it takes to hold and maintain a ceremonial space and serve the individuals who are seeking healing with ayahuasca. Costs of holding ayahuasca ceremonies amplify in the parts of the world where ayahuasca is not native and must be imported, and there is considerable legal risk incurred by people who serve this medicine. It's hard to argue against the need to make the service economically viable for those offering it. On the flip side, there is the increase in ayahuasca profiteering by mestizo men and women who have less of an interest in deepening their training as shamans, curanderos, and vegetalistas, and more of an interest in running a profitable, lucrative business. Many pseudo-shamans in Peru and in other Amazonian countries are taking advantage of the surge in demand for ayahuasca experiences and spiritual vacations, and setting up ayahuasca businesses that openly promote retreats online and through social media. In the West, there is an increase in neo-shamans who feel called to serve medicine in spite of their very limited shamanic training— In the Amazon, shamanic training can be rigorous and difficult, involving extended fasting periods, solo retreats in the forest, and years of study in the identification, cultivation, and preparation of plant-based medicines. Sometimes years of training are required before a shaman is even considered qualified to be serving a master plant medicine like ayahuasca. Yet, The number of neo-shamans who are bypassing this training and going directly to serving this highly visionary, mind-altering medicine is only increasing. In many Western countries like the United States, it's much harder to be so openly commercial in the marketing of an experience that involves a Schedule I drug. Most ceremony facilitators operate on the down-low to avoid scrutiny by law enforcement. Groups are typically filled via word-of-mouth Email notifications use vague language about meditations or singing circles, and not much is posted on Facebook. Ayahuasca Healings emerged onto the scene with a splash, creating tremendous uproar on the internet about the nature of their organization and their methods. Ayahuasca Healings claims to be the first legal ayahuasca church in America, and they boldly announced their claim through mass press release submission that is typically used in the internet marketing world. Indeed, Trinity de Guzman, the co-founder of Ayahuasca Healings, is an internet marketer, and he's also a self-proclaimed messenger of what can be described as a New Earth movement of conscious awakening. Trinity appears to be a man on a mission to help others spiritually awaken and evolve. At the same time, his very public approach in establishing and promoting an organization that has questionable recognition as a Native American church, as well as questionable legal protection in serving ayahuasca to the public, this has the ayahuasca community up in arms. Former members of the Ayahuasca Healings Organization, have spoken up publicly against Ayahuasca Healings and its practices. Experts in Ayahuasca legalization have also spoken against the activities of Ayahuasca Healings. Now, many believe that Ayahuasca Healings is a sham and that Trinity is a fraud. Now, I'm going to let you decide for yourself. I have Trinity de Guzman here with me today to answer the hard questions presented by the Ayahuasca community at large. Now, I have to warn you in advance, this interview is long and covers a lot of information. You may want to consider subscribing to our newsletter and receiving the transcript of this episode to read at your convenience. Simply text and Theonation, that's E-N-T-H-E-O-N-A-T-I-O-N, to the number 44222, and reply to the SMS with your best email address to receive a copy of this episode transcript and much, much more. Now, on to the show. Hello, beautiful visionary community. This is Lorna Liana, host of Entheonation. Nation. I have with me today Trinity de Guzman, founder of Ayahuasca Healings, a man who is at the epicenter of a huge ayahuasca controversy. There's been a great deal of outcry in the medicine community from people who work with ayahuasca spiritually, as well as from scientific researchers and policymakers around a number of key concerns. Number one, the true legal status of ayahuasca healings in the United States. Number two, the safety of the people attending retreats at the ayahuasca healings retreat center from both a health and a legal standpoint. Number three, the way in which you've promoted your church and its business model. And number four, the impact of your activities on the future of ayahuasca and its protected status as a whole. So um, first off, Trinity, I want to thank you for your willingness to address some of these hard questions posed by various members of the ayahuasca community on the Nation podcast so that we can understand where you are coming from and how safe it truly is to participate in your retreats. And before we hop into this conversation... I would like to open up this discussion with a prayer. Thank you. So, I pray to the Great Spirit, our Creator. I pray to Pachamama, Mother Earth, and Madrasita, the Spirit of the Vine, to hold this dialogue in a sacred container so that whatever insights that emerge, may they contribute to our collective wisdom, healing, and evolution in service to the highest good. Great Spirit, may you protect the religious freedom to pray with this medicine. Great Spirit, may you open the doors for greater scientific understanding so that this traditional medicine may be valued for its potential to heal us. Aho.
1: Aho. Thank you.
0: Okay, great. Thank you so much, Trinity. I would love to uh, start off by asking you Who are you and um, who are you? Tell us your journey with this plant medicine and what inspired you to start Ayahuasca Healings.
2: Thank you so much. So who I am is someone who is just so committed, so here. So I just live my entire life. Every moment, every breath, every action is for the people. Everything that I do is to be of service, to bring love, healing, awakening, truth, and to really create a world where we no longer have to live in lack, limitation, fear, and grow up in a system that enslaves us to really a world of a lot of misery and struggle. And I see that there's so much in our world that has to change in order for us to actually live a reality like that. And so who I am is somebody who just lives every moment prayerfully in service to us all. And why I live that way is because I walk that path. I have experienced a lot of pain in my life. And I really believe that my pain has led me to be in this position that I'm now in. And it was through those painful experiences again and again and again that I had to I was forced to really take this deep inner healing journey. And like a lot of people, I grew up in the world and I was taught, you know, you go to school, get a good job and make money and you'll be happy. I was fed this illusion. And so I did. You know, I left high school at a young 17 years old. And all I did with my life was focus on chasing that exact goal of making money and you know by the age of 19 years old after just like locking myself up in a room for two years and like you know being like having blinders on and doing nothing else but pouring my heart my time my money my soul into you know chasing this carrot like I was told would make me happy I finally got to a point in my life at 19 years old where I was making you know a lot of money what people might consider and it was in that experience that I worked so hard. I gave everything that I possibly could to this journey, to making this alleged, you know, holy grail of money. And all that's all we need. And we'll be happy. And then I finally got there and I realized I wasn't happy. I realized that I felt more empty than even before I began that journey. And I started to ask myself the real questions of what am I really here to do? If making this money can make me happy, then obviously making more money wasn't the solution. So I really started to ask the questions of, what am I here to do? Now, what is my passion? What is my purpose? And how would I know what that is if I don't know who I am? And that's where that seed was first planted. And that question of, who am I? Who am I really was first born? And so I started traveling the world thinking that that's where my answers would come from. And so, you know, one thing led to another and eventually it led me to Peru and through like making it to Peru, I had lived my life,
1: you know, in this world of, you know, business quote unquote marketing. That's like I just mentioned, that's the the life I, I walked and I truly believe that I learned those skills to only be able to spread messages of awakening, of truth and love in the world. And that's what I do now with, that, with those skills. And so, basically, I spent my life learning about beliefs. Learning about how is it that these people who have what they want, how do they have what they want? And I learned that the only thing that separates people who have what they want and people who don't is their beliefs. And so I studied how to heal beliefs, recreate beliefs, and for so many years, I just learned different healing modalities to be able to rewrite my own belief system in the world. And then when I came to this medicine of Mother Ayahuasca, there was nothing, nothing that I experienced from so many powerful things that I have definitely experienced in my life of healing that comes as close and can heal
2: so deeply, so quickly so many people in such a short amount of time than Mother Ayahuasca. And I just knew my first ceremony that I was here to share this medicine with the world. And so one thing led to another, and I ended up creating and was just shown. I was here to create an Ayahuasca retreat center in Peru. So I went ahead and followed the guidance one step at a time to make that a reality. And then...
0: So you have a retreat center in Peru... That you That's grounded. right. Uh, what is it called?
2: That's called El Jardín de la Paz or the Garden of Peace.
0: Okay. And where is that located?
2: That's located near Tarapoto, Peru.
0: Okay. So you created an ayahuasca mm-hmm. healing center in Tarapoto, Peru, and then you felt That's inspired right. to create one in the United States?
2: Yeah, definitely. So I the way that message came through was it was, you know, there's this one day that I remember reading an email from somebody, and I remember her name, Sarah. And she was sharing to me that she was in tears at the emails that I had written her. That she wants to come to our center so badly, but she couldn't because she's in school and because of the money and the time that's required to be able to come to Peru. And so, of course, like there's this part of me that's just, I just want to help everybody. And it's you know, sometimes <laughs> to a fault. But I started looking into how is it that I can help her? Where can I send her? Maybe I can re- recommend her to somebody who does serve medicine in North America, someone that I know. And so I started looking around. I found out that there's nobody that I could send her to where she can experience this medicine. And that's when the download first came, that I was here to build the first public, legal ayahuasca church in America. And so that's how it all began. It was really that one day when I got this email and realized that there's so many people who need this that don't have access to it. There's so many people who want to have this depth of healing and transformation, but can't come to Peru, can't spend the money, can't take the time off work or school. And so the whole movement is about making this medicine available to the people who need it.
0: So, what is the mission of Ayahuasca
2: Healings? The mission of Ayahuasca Healings is so multi layered. One of the missions is to build 30 healing centers and churches over the next 15 years. And yeah, that's, you know, an average two a year before 2032, the year of our new golden age. And the purpose of this vision is to make this medicine so available to the people who need it. And I know there's a lot of people who complain about, you know, what our requested donation or suggested donation has been. But ultimately the vision is to be able to share this medicine for free to the people who need it. And Of course, before we can do that, it takes money to be able to build these centers. And so we're not here to just be like one single church where we can help, you know, a little over a dozen people a weekend. We're here to build these communities all over America, North America, the world, where people can experience this medicine. And the people who can't afford it, they get it for free. The people who can afford it, the people who work in the system, the people who have the resources are the ones who will make all of this possible. And that's like one layer of the vision.
0: Okay, so two retreat centers a year in the United States by 2032. That's right. So what is the golden age? I've never quite heard of that. What, what do you mean by the golden age? Why 2032?
2: So 2032 is a time where there's a lot of people who prophesy, not necessarily prophesy, who speak about or who channel or communicate with about the fact that 2032 is a year, a very pivotal year in our collective consciousness where we're going to be entering a reality right now. There's so much, You know, competition, war, racism, jealousy, anger, fear. And by 2032, it's like the awoken age where really we're going to be able to be in a reality. And I'm not saying that this is exactly what's going to happen, but it's one of my deepest beliefs that it is around this time by 2032, I truly believe in a world where... There are no borders, there is no war, there is no limitation, there is no racism, there is no fear or lack or limitation, and we share, we all understand the true importance of life, of being here, and it's not to chase the dollar, and it's not to live our lives working and to finally wake up when we're old and realize, what now? What am I really here to do? And it's about creating communities where we can live together together feed off the land together, celebrate together, appreciate gratitude, and remember the true importance of why we are here. It's not to work our whole lives, but it's to really love. It's to enjoy together. It's to create this new earth that we have created. I can go on and on and on, but yeah, let me hear your next question. Okay,
0: yeah, we got a lot of hard-hitting questions to get through. So, but I appreciate you sharing your vision so this community of retreat centers that's going to be under the auspices of your church, is that correct? Under the Ayahuasca
2: Healing Church structure? Yeah, it will be under the Oklahoma Native American Church guidance, as our that is our mother church, and so what we are what we have created is an independent branch of the Oklahoma Native American Church. So every one of our churches will be under the Oklahoma Native American Church.
0: Okay, so are you is Ayahuasca Healing's a five hundred one c three
2: It is. And so Ayahuasca Healings is a 501c3 that is working with, that is under, that is an independent branch of Oklahoma Native American Church, which is also a 501c3.
0: Okay, so under what state are you guys registered? In Washington?
2: We're registered under Washington.
0: Okay, and so does all the money collected go to the bank account of this registered 501c3?
2: Yes, it does. Absolutely. Okay.
0: Okay. So uh, when you say you're the first legal ayahuasca church in the United States, can you explain what makes you guys legal and why the first?
2: Yeah, I don't. So very specifically, I don't say that we're the first legal ayahuasca church in America. I say that we're the first public, the first openly public and legal ayahuasca church in America. I say again and again in so many different places, that there's other people, other churches that have done this before us. And we give so much credit, so much honor, so much recognition to them because it is only because of them who have paved the path for this religious freedom to work with this sacrament that we are able to do this publicly like we are today. And so definitely the Unia de Vegetal, the UDV, and the Santo Daime have been working with ayahuasca in America and have built churches in the United States for decades the thing is they're just very private very closed circles and very there's a very rigid structure to the way that they do things and i know that one it's really difficult to even find and make your way into a ceremony and two a lot of people do not like the rigidness of that but of course it's all perfect but the point is that We are the first public, openly public, and legal ayahuasca church. And so we are the first ones who are actually out there sharing, using the internet, saying, like, this is what we are doing. And we are open to the public as long as you meet specific criteria for health, mental, physical criteria for everybody's safety. So that's why I say that we're the first public and legal ayahuasca church in America.
0: Okay, so many informed people say that really the only way you can legally use ayahuasca is by having an exemption from the Controlled Substance Act based on the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, otherwise known as the RFRA, and that this exemption is actually a formal document and agreement with the DEA specific to your church. So does ayahuasca healings have this specific exemption and documentation from the DEA?
2: We do not have this specific documentation from the DEA. But I want to respond to that by saying that it is not only that with this document and this exemption from the DEA that you are legal. So my specific response to that is we are legal because the laws of the land say that we are. The Religious Freedom Restoration Act, just like you have mentioned, as well as the Native American Religious Freedom Act as well as the Institutionalized Persons and Religious Land Use Act are, you know, just a few of the acts of the First Amendment, the First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States, that this is our legal right to be able to share and use this medicine as the sacrament that it is to connect with the Creator, to connect with ourselves, to connect with, you know, the Divine Spirit, the non-physical world. And it is... The fact that the laws of the land, for example, the RFRA, that speaks about that we have the religious right to practice what our own individual unique beliefs of our religion are and not be interfered by the government. As long as we are not interfering with other people's rights, as long as we are not interfering the rights of other people and hindering other people's religious expression, for example. And so that separation of church and state was created because, you know, back when the first amendment was created, there were different political leaders who all had different beliefs and it was to allow each person to have their own beliefs and keep politics as politics and keep religion as religion. And so what we are doing is our religious right. What we are doing is In the laws that say that we are legal, it is not just that you need the specific exemption to become legal. In fact, these churches, they won these exemptions because they were legal. It's not the other way around. It's not that they are legal because they have the exemption. They were legal already. We are already legal because it is the laws of the land that state so.
0: What do you mean by laws of the land? The actual state, the federal law? Um, I'm not sure if I understand what you mean by laws of the land.
2: Oh, yeah. So the laws of the land refer to the laws within the nation. So each country has a different law, have different laws of the land. So, I'm referring to specifically the laws inside of the United States of america u
0: s law okay exactly u s law okay, okay, so uh, just want to make sure you're not you know referring to like a general principle like our freedom to pursue life, liberty, and happiness, but you're talking about u s law
2: exactly okay, exactly okay.
0: okay, so as i as far as I understand, um, you know the case that you mentioned on your website around uh, James Mooney and the court case around peyote. And you reference, you know, the American Indian Religious Freedom Act, which is commonly abbreviated as AIRFA, as well as the RFRA. Now, from my understanding, this case really only referred to peyote and not other plant medicines and only applies in the state of Utah. So I'm curious to know how you say that this ruling about peyote in Utah protects the use of other medicines, and can do so in other states.
2: Right. I didn't say that that court ruling
1: protects other medicines and can do so in other states. That law and that court is something that basically spreads the exemption of the ability to use the sacred plant sacrament of peyote to people who are off of Native American land and who are not necessarily of
2: Native American bloodline. And so what it allows people to do is whether, if they're in a Native American church, it that exemption applies to everybody inside of the Native American church. But to be more specific, to continue this conversation, yes, there is the RFRA, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and there is the AIRFA, the American Indian Religious Freedom Act. And there's also the Institutionalized Persons and Religious Land Use Act. And just like you are mentioning, where you are talking about one specific sacrament and one specific group of people, the fact is that is prejudice. The fact is that this act, the Institutionalized Persons Act and the Religious Land Use Act, is an overall act that protects all plant medicines on religious land. And it protects the Native Americans. And this is what really gives us a lot of the protection as well. There are different acts that protect us from different angles. And so it is not just the court cases. The laws are why we are legal. The court cases just emphasize it. So we don't need the court case to be legal we don't need the court case to say that we are legal the court case is just the exclamation mark it is just to show that yes because they are legal they won the court case that's why every single time that ayahuasca has ever faced the court it has won a unanimous decision in favor of religious freedom every single time and these were unanimous decisions With the state of Utah, for example, with James Mooney versus the Utah Supreme Court. Unanimous decision for James Mooney, for peyote, for Linda Mooney, and the Oklahoma Native American Church. And if you know much about case law, unanimous decisions are often pretty rare. But the fact is This is our religion. This is a religious right that we all have, and we are simply exercising our religious freedom without impeding on or damaging or hurting other people, and therefore, we are within the laws of the United States, and that is why we are legal.
0: Okay, so as I understand, the RFRA mentions nothing specific about Native Americans or plants, but it does provide provisions that allow uh, any religious group to argue that they're being substantially burdened by a specific law and that the government interest in upholding that law does not justify the burden being placed on the specific religious group in specific situations, which is how the UDV and the Santo Daime uh, churches were able to win their court cases and exemptions. Yet these exemptions really only apply to them and not anybody else. So I'm curious to
2: know what you your thoughts are on that. Yeah, for sure. So I feel like that's the same question in a different way. Yeah. But it's like what I really want to emphasize with that is, yes, these churches won their DEA exemptions through facing the court. But the fact is they won these cases because they are legal, not the other way around. So it is not that because they won the court case, they are legal. It is that they were already legal, and that's why they won unanimous decisions in the face of court. And so to emphasize another layer of this, it is our religious right to be able to practice with this medicine exactly like you said, as long as we are... I forgot exactly what you said with the RFRA. You quoted something. As long as the government is – can you read that one part again?
0: Yeah, so uh, what I was stating was like the RFRA mentions nothing specific about Native Americans or plants – and that um, there are provisions that allow any religious group to argue that they're being substantially burdened by a specific law, and uh, that the government interest in upholding that law does not justify the burden placed on the specific religious group in specific situations. Is that the quote that you're that
1: you're referring to? Yeah, that's that's right, too. So, yeah, and that is that the government does not have a substantial interest that the I forgot. Like there was a lot of words that just came through there. That was the government's law. Substantial interest. Read that one part from the substantial interest. I specifically want to quote that one part, and so and go into it.
0: Okay. So um, the RFRA contains certain provisions that would allow for any religious group to argue that they're being substantially burdened by a specific law and that the government interest in upholding that law does not justify the burden placed on that specific religious group in specific situations. Okay. So that uh, apparently, based on my understanding, and this comes from somebody that was actually involved in the legal committee for the Santo Daime Church, this is how that uh, the UDV and the Santo Daime were able to win their
1: court cases. Exactly. And so... It is what you said about being substantially burdened by other government laws. And so right now, the fact is we haven't had to go to court because we haven't been substantially burdened by the laws, by what you know any actions that any government officials have been taking. And actually, just so you know, that we have communicated with our local county. The local Lewis County has received a letter from us From in two different ways, the local prosecutor and the local county. And we told them about our church, what we are doing. And we told the local prosecutor before we even started holding retreats and holding these healing activities and retreats, healing centers, healing retreats, that this is what we were doing, that we were sharing the sacrament of Ayahuasca and San Pedro, and that we were leading these retreats. And so we both reached out to the local prosecutor and the local county, and they responded, giving us permission. And so, the fact is, people need to go to court when, like, for example, the religious law, the RFRA is quoted when the government is placing a substantial burden on the religious practices of a group. The fact is, we haven't had any substantial burdens from the government. Even despite the fact that we have told them that we are on their radar, even despite the fact that we have very clearly communicated that this is what we are doing, and if they really wanted to stop this, if they really wanted to you know, put an end to this, they would already be at our door. But the fact is, they know about this and they're not And, they're not, and there is no substantial burden on what we are doing. And so the RFRA, these people, the UDV and the CentdyME, were what their court cases because the government tried playing, placing a substantial burden on their religious practices. The government, in both cases, actually went to the church and confiscated you know, their medicine, they, and so they countersued. And so we haven't even had to go to court, because the government isn't placing any burden on what that we're doing. And if they do, then this specific law is what will protect us as well as the other laws, for me, it is the precedent. What we are doing is the precedent. And what precedent is, is that in the case of law, if a similar case is ever brought up, they refer to the previous court cases that have been had in a similar manner. So, for example, in this case of ayahuasca, instead of having a huge million-dollar legal battle like the first one was between UDV and the Supreme Court of the United States, instead of going through a huge legal battle, they would, which is very costly in terms of time and energy on both parties, they would look back and see what other court cases have been had that are similar to this. And so, for example, in 2006... Is, I believe, is when the UDB won their court case, or might have been 2000. But, and then in 2009 is when the Santo Daniel won their court case. So the Santo Dani was a lot easier because the precedent was already there. And so if ever we are brought to court, we will win. There's no doubt about it because we do have a sincere religious interest in this sacrament, and everything that we are doing is truly to connect with the creator, with what we believe to be, the universe, the spirit. And these precedents is what will protect us if we ever are taken to court. And that's something we're going to do. But the fact is, we don't need to go to court to be legal. The laws and the precedents and the cases already are in place for us to be able to clearly communicate that we are legal.
0: Okay. So I just want to address that too, based on legal precedents. So it sounds like you're stating that there has been legal precedents and and therefore you expect that you're going to be protected. Now, according to Gail Hypine, who has been a moderator on the ayahuasca.com forum for quite some time, and the author of many articles related to the legal status of ayahuasca in the United States, she says that the truth is there've been numerous unsuccessful religious rights cases, including peyote cases and at least eight unsuccessful cases for cannabis. So if the courts have not wanted to grant religious exceptions for cannabis, and so they've really raked the cannabis churches over the coals when ruling against them and set precedents directly relevant to all other RFRA cases— I also had another conversation, uh, this time with uh, Benjamin DeLunin, who is the founder of ISEERS, the International Center for Ethnobotanical Education, Research, and Service. And he's been working for the past six years in ayahuasca defense. And according to Benjamin, there have been more arrests than ever internationally, and he also oh. doubts the legal status of your church. So I'm curious to know, have you, have you ever considered the possibility that your organization may not be as protected as you believe, and that you might actually be considering you know facing some extensive jail time if these you know protections don't, don't hold up for you?
2: Thank you.
1: So I'll answer those points one by one. Okay. So the point that Gail Hypine was referring to in terms of legal precedence with cannabis, that's great. That is, well, not exactly great. Cannabis is a very powerful medicine as well. When used consciously, you know, the point is, you have to know how to use medicine consciously in order for it to really be a sacrament. And a lot of people in the world do not use the medicine of cannabis as the powerful teacher that it can be to really be able to clearly demonstrate that it is a religious sacrament. But with that being said, These presses, these court cases, these laws that, you know, these court rulings that have failed in the favor of religious freedom are, yeah. Okay, great. First of all, that's about cannabis. We are not dealing with cannabis. We do not actually have, we actually have a rule that there is no cannabis on the land at all. And so any volunteers, of course, any guests, of course, anybody on the land at all, there is no use of cannabis because we find a lot of people have a very, unconscious relationship with cannabis and of course we respect it as a teacher we respect it as the sacrament that it is if you can come to it with that purity of intention that is needed with any type of sacrament but the fact that a lot of people don't use cannabis with that purity of intention they smoke it recreationally and so that makes sense that there have been cannabis churches cannabis churches that have not one legal religious freedom.
0: Yeah, I think the point, you know, of her statement is, you know, it, it's like there have been a number of unsuccessful religious rights cases. So even though you do mention some of the ones that were successful, there have been numerous ones that are, you know, un- have been unsuccessful, even including the right to use peyote. So I think what she's trying to point out is that it's questionable as to whether or not you might be able to gain religious exemptions based on these previous cases.
1: Yeah, well, that's great. And that's your opinion. I completely disagree because that's speaking about cannabis and not ayahuasca. Ayahuasca is our main sacrament. And what our church is really about sharing is the medicine of ayahuasca, not cannabis. And if you look at... But she also
0: mentioned peyote.
1: We're also not working with peyote. We're working with San Pedro. And the fact is, I don't know about that case with peyote. You can tell me more details about that. We can open a dialogue about that. Okay,
0: One yeah, I'll, I'll look into it and then post a link in, in the show notes. Okay. Okay, great. So, well, we should move on, but uh, what I'll I
1: wanted to.
0: Yeah, so if you would like to you know, conclude your thoughts on this, and then I also want to just kind of take a break because I feel like our uh, connection is starting to get worse, so we can reconnect um, after the short pause. But what I'd like for you to do is you know, complete your thoughts on the point that I raised, and then we're going to go for a short break.
1: Yeah, for sure. And the, the only exclamation mark that I want to make on that process that I was concluding was that if you look at any of the ayahuasca court rulings, Every single Iowa ruling has been heard unanimously for the ruling of religious freedom for Ayahuasca. And that is our primary sacrament, and that is what matters. Not cannabis, not getting cannabis. You can talk about all the cannabis court cases that have been lost all day. You can talk about any other court cases, but how relevant is it? And the, really the only thing that matters is what are the Iowa and what are the court rulings? And what have those been ruled in favor of? That's all that matters.
0: Okay. Okay. Great. So we're going to take a pause, and then we're going to reconnect and see if the connection improves. Okay. Wonderful. So we're back from our little break. And so, you know, I know we talked a lot about, you know, legal stuff, you know, cases and all of that. So just kind of like to wrap up that whole deep and multi-layered conversation, Trinity, did you guys receive legal counsel before establishing your church?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. There were several legal advisors that we had communicated to, as well as, of course, like, James Mooney and our partnership with the Oaklava Native American Church is really the most important aspect of our legal protection, because all of the legal protection that we receive is through that relationship with the Oaklava Native American Church. And they, as our mother church, are the ones who give us the legal protection. And really, they are the ones who are here to back us up and here to take care of all of the legal aspects of things. And so what we are here to take care of as an independent branch of the Oklahoma Native American Church is to make sure that we're delivering these incredibly deep, powerful, transformational healing experiences at our retreats, at our church. And so that's where our focus is all on. And through the advice of working with Oklahoma Native American Church, like we have really been advised that Of course, there's so many different legal layers to this, but not to let all of this talk about legality drain our energy, because it's only stopping us from focusing on what it is that we're really here to do, which is to share this sacrament and to bring this healing to the people. And, you know, if any actual legal trouble comes up, Oklahoma Native American Church will be here to back us up, will be here to take care of us and protect us. All of this stuff is just coming from people talking None of this is an actual legal court case. None of this is... There is no court case. There is no actual problems with the DEA. We've spoken to the county. We've told the local prosecutors what we're doing. People know what we're doing. There's no issue. And so all of this stuff is just really blah, blah, blah that we don't let take a lot of our time because the fact is we know we're legal and our guests are completely safe in that. And so we are moving forward with being able to share this message. And if anything else does come up, Oklahoma Native American Church is there to protect us. And then we can really open up this dialogue online. But until then, it's all just, you know, he he says, she says. And really, there's not much use in spending so much energy about this because the government knows about us. Why haven't they stopped us? Because we are legal.
0: Mhm okay okay so now going back to your relationship with the Oklava Native American church so so my understanding is like the Native American church tradition uh you know really involves like it's a, it's a long tradition with uh specific rituals and songs protocols sacramental use of peyote and, you know, I think one of the questions that comes up from the medicine community is how is it that you are, you guys are a Native American church when you're not working with peyote, you're not working in the tradition of the Native American church. And the fact that, you know, it, there's some doubt, you know, there there's some question as to whether the ONAC is really a true Native American church. There seems to be some division within the Native American community, especially around uh, the practice of ONAC giving online memberships to other organizations under the auspices of the Native American church. So what are your thoughts about that?
2: So first of all, I want to very specifically point out that we definitely are working with Native American traditions and Native American elders. And so we, for example, like you said, the Native American church and the Native Americans have had very specific rituals and ceremonies and ways of working with the sacraments and the plants that are particular to the Native Americans and the Native American church. And so, for example, in our four-day healing retreat that happens at our church, we have on the first day... It's really about Cleansing Day. And on this day, we have a Native American actually open ceremony with us. This dear brother, dear elder, teacher, his name is Bear, and he's a 70-year-old elder. And he comes every weekend to open ceremony with us, to lead the sweat lodge. He built the sweat lodge for us. This is a Native American, and you know he's 70 years old. And we have received the blessings from so many different Native Americans to be able to do what we are doing. And if you speak to the Native Americans about that question, they say that it is not this rigid structure that defines a Native American culture or tradition. It is the guidance in every moment. And so they have given us their blessing because they understand that it's not about no, setting rules and having a rigid structure that we have to follow. And only then will we be considered a Native American church. But they look at the spirit of the plant as exactly that, as a spirit, as a teacher. And she, Mother Ayahuasca, for example, will always define and lead and guide the ceremony. And so to be a Native American tradition, these people who are saying this, they clearly do not understand the culture of the Native Americans, which is a deep surrendering to the plant in every moment. And so we have received their blessings because we, like all we can really do, and this has come from like such dear elders in the Native American culture and tradition who specifically say like, I don't do anything. All I can do is take the medicine and the spirit just works through me. And that is the spirit of true Native American tradition. And so we are working with these plants. We look at them as spirits, as teachers, as guides, to be able to allow us to connect with ourselves, to open our hearts, to connect with who we really are. And that is the teachings of the Native Americans. It is looking at everything.
0: So when you say you have the blessing of the Native Americans, uh, have you been working with the Native Americans in uh, the community where your retreat center is located in LB, Washington?
2: Yes, we've definitely been doing outreach to the different tribes that are in the Washington area. And so we have received blessings from the Native Americans in many different forms. Like one is, of course, to create this independent branch of the Native American church in which we are leading everything. You see, the Native Americans, they don't discriminate based on race, color, or age. And that's the first thing to understand about Native American culture. That it's not like you have to be born into a Native American reservation, for example, or have to have the bloodline to be able to practice Native American spirituality. But... They are all under the belief that we are all brothers and sisters, no matter what, you know, our skin color is. And it is this unifying energy of looking at Mother, our planet, as our Mother Earth, as our Father, Father Sky. And it is this, you know, connection with the spirits, with the plants, with the trees, with the mountains, looking at them as spirits, as teachers, as guides, that is the root of Native American tradition. And so this question clearly came from people who did not understand Native American tradition and were pointing fingers at us because we aren't Native American bloodline born. Whereas if they really understood what the Native American tradition was all about, then that wouldn't be coming out of their mouth.
0: Okay. Okay. So moving along here, so we spoke a lot about, you know, the the legal considerations of your church and especially around, you know, the safety of your participants from a legal standpoint. So, you know, just to kind of like summarize that before we move on to health, based on the statements that you've made about the legal status of your church, are people that participate in your retreats, are they protected from prosecution?
2: Absolutely. And so it is a very... Primary fundamental requirement for anybody who comes to our land, anybody who comes to our church, anybody who comes to our healing retreats, that they are a member of the Native American church. Because it is through being a member of the Native American church that this protection is extended. And, you know, if you were to look at any case law studies, if for any reason that is very, very far fetched, that you know, there was any implications or any any interference between what we are doing and the government, it is, if you look at case law, it's always the leaders of an organization that are the ones that are prosecuted. And so if you look at the case of James and Linda Mooney versus the state of Utah, for example, it was James and Linda Mooney who were the ones who were prosecuted, not the people that they were leading ceremonies for. And so If ever in some very rare other dimension that this does happen where there is interference with the DEA or with, you know, any type of government officials, it is the leaders of the organization that would be prosecuted and not the members of the church. Because what would they do, you know? prosecute every single member of the Oklahoma Native American Church who's been sitting in these ceremonies, or, you know, that's thousands upon tens of, you know, thousands of people. And so it's basically, as a member of our church, you are completely legally protected to be able to sit in these sacred sacrament ceremonies with us, and if you are wanting to look at it in a worst-case scenario, if there is government interference— It is the leaders of an organization that are the ones that are taken down or prosecuted.
0: Okay. Okay. So moving on to uh, physical safety, uh, what safety measures do you have in place in case someone were to have a medical or psychiatric emergency
2: considering your remote location? Thank you. So one of our teammates on the land is a trained psychiatrist and nurse. And so we have someone on the land who is specifically trained to work with those types of mental, emotional breakdown-type experiences. As well, working, you know, the people who are leading the ceremonies, they're very trained in understanding how to work with people emotionally if they are having, you know, quote-unquote, a freak-out. And in terms of physical health, we, the volunteers, have all received a, we've actually brought in a first-aid medic to train all of our volunteers, give them their first aid certifications, and we have a first aid person on call if ever we need to bring someone in for you know anything more serious. So we have other many different things that are in place to be able to protect people, from a trained nurse and psychiatrist, to our staff and our volunteers trained in first aid, to having people on call and having these resources available to us when we need them, if we need them.
0: So the trained nurse slash psychiatrist is somebody different from the shaman.
2: That is correct. The trained nurse and psychiatrist is actually one of our facilitators who works there with us and who does help out. But from the head shaman, yes, to answer your question, like she is different from the shaman. Okay. Okay.
0: So then, um, you know, what? how do you screen people that participate in your retreats? You know, so there may be people with serious problems like PTSD and trauma and psychosis that might go to your retreat center and not actually disclose that they have those issues in their questionnaire. So how do you screen people for their eligibility to even partake in this type of experience?
2: Thank you. So we have a very in-depth application process, first of all. So we have two different layers to be able to help screen people for really the greatest safety and protection of everybody involved. And so one... That is our application process, which is a very in-depth application that, you know, has well over a dozen questions that really go deep into what is their history with medication? What is their history with, you know, spiritual practices? What is their history with, like, health in terms of mental health, physical health, emotional health? Have they been suicidal? Have Do they have any suicidal tendencies, either past or present? And we really ask for full disclosure from these people to be able to come to this retreat or to at least apply. And then that's so that's the first layer. And then the next layer is that before anybody can be approved to attend one of our ayahuasca healing retreats, then they have to get on the phone with one of our very well-trained people who are very experienced with the medicine of Mother Ayahuasca. And Through this conversation, we really go deep into, exactly as you've quoted it, their eligibility. But we don't look at it as eligibility. We look at it as like, is there a true alignment for us to be able to help you and support you at this time in your life? And sometimes there's a very clear no, and we, it's very easy to tell if someone's mentally unstable. It's very easy to tell if there's like a clear no where they are not ready. It's very easy to know if they're not yet ready for this type of experience. As well, we do not allow people who are on any specific pharmaceutical medication within the past 30 days to attend one of our retreats for safety reasons because there can be some, you know, different uh, contraindications with the medicine of ayahuasca and pharmaceuticals. So there's many different layers that we have that from a very in-depth application process to a, you know, an interview process on the phone and really understanding like with people who are on the phone, they really understand. It's super easy to know if someone's ready, if someone's in a mental space to be able to be doing this or not and we we do ask for full disclosure and you know it's not like we're ever having people who are hiding things when they apply because yeah we, that's just not something that seems to be happening well
0: there deaths related to ayahuasca. And, you know, granted, it doesn't happen nearly as often as with other drugs or even with alcohol, but they can happen. So I'm curious to know whether you are concerned that someone might die on premises and what your plan of action might be.
2: So we are not concerned if someone's going to be dying on premises. That is not a fear that we have. Every single person on the land is Very, you know, well trained to be doing what it is that we're doing, especially the facilitators. And so I don't believe in a reality of planning for something that I do not want. I believe that everything is created and that, you know, it's everything. Our external world is a reflection of our internal world. And so I don't put energy into if someone dies, what am I going to do? The fact is we do have liability waivers that do surrender these people's liability. Like, you know, if anything were to happen liability-wise, that they are surrendering that um, right to sue, for example, or that we are not held accountable. And really everything that we do is to, of course, for the safety of our guests from the moment that they apply to to the interview to when they get to the land. So everything is designed in a way where... That is the last of our worries. And these deaths that have happened with ayahuasca, if you really think about it, it's like there's been hundreds and thousands, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who have drank this medicine. And what, there's like two deaths that have come out in the entire, like the whole time that this medicine has been, the awareness of this has come out to the Western world. And it's not even because of like the ayahuasca, for example like the last one was a safety issue with someone being stabbed and that's really sad and it's really unfortunate and we really protect and keep everybody in such a safe space that these things are really the last of our worries
0: mhm okay so in the amazon you know, shamans have to go through rigorous training to even be qualified to serve uh, this medicine. And this training can be years, if not decades long. And so what I've noticed um is that in the recent years, there's been a phenomena of Westerners going to the Amazon and then feeling called to poor medicine. So I'm curious to know, you know, what kind of training your shaman mark has,
2: Yeah, for sure. So Mark has been working with the medicine since 2008. So that's eight years. And he's served hundreds of ceremonies and he's worked with many different shamans and curanderos in Peru and, you know, trained all over to be able to, and he is like certified in so many other types of healing modalities Everything from Qigong to yoga to breath work to meditation to, of course, shamanic plant medicine, you know, just to name a few. The fact is, though, that we're at a point in our, you know, collective consciousness where the frequency that we exist at and the world that we live in right now is very different, fundamentally speaking, than the world that we were born into however many years ago there has been scientific studies that have clearly proven that we as human beings and our frequency that we exist at and the frequency of our planet Earth has actually and is increasing. And as frequencies increase, as we are going through this awakening and evolution process on a global scale, the fact is, everything's moving faster. And what used to take... And you know, like there's a lot of people who, of course, who are so rooted in tradition. And of course, we give so much honor and recognition to tradition. And at the same time, that the same way that the medicine has been worked with to take us to this moment in our collective consciousness is very different than the way that the medicine needs to be worked with from here moving forward. So, for example, the medicine in the past has been worked with in a way that's been very masculine. Very like dense, very purgative, very much about like going into the shadows and like cleaning the density from that place. And it's been very like earthy. And basically it's been very clearly shown to me and a lot of the people who work with the medicine that for where we are supposed to take our humanity and our collective consciousness in the future, it's so much more about the love, the light. The, you know, the angels, the sacred fires and blazing and illuminating, all that no longer serves. And the reason this is important is by understanding that the world that we were born in is very different than the world that we live in. Physically speaking, we are at a different frequency than where, than the world we were born in. That's why so many of the things that used to work, like people could not follow their heart, not follow their truth and live out of alignment, a lot of people were able to get away with that. But we live in a reality now where so many people are not able to live out of alignment anymore with with their heart, with their truth, what they're here to do in the world. And the reason this is an answer to your question is because understanding this is that I've spoken to many different shamans and this isn't even just Mark. This is people who live in the Sacred Valley who have worked deeply with sharing medicine. And they specifically have told me For example, there was this one woman, her name is Catelyn, and she's been training to serve the medicine for several years, you know, multiple ceremonies every week for multiple years. And she had described to me, she's like, yeah, my teacher was telling me after 10 years, I'm going to have this experience. After like 15 years, I'm going to have this experience. After 20 years, I'm going to have this experience. And she's like, but these are happening to me. Within six months, within one year, within two years. And the spectrum of training and the spectrum of like processing that used to take 10 years, many years, is now being shrunkated and condensed into shorter amounts of time. And so that's one way that I can answer that question by very much describing that what used to take 10 years is now happening in maybe even one year maybe two, three years. And that is proven from so many people again and again. And also, Mark has eight years experience. And so he has been working with the medicine for a really long time. And he has led hundreds and hundreds of ceremonies. And he has worked with many different shamans from around the world. So that's how I would answer that question.
0: Love this episode? You can receive the transcript for free by simply texting Entheonation, that's E-N-T-H-E-O-N-A-T-I-O-N, to the number 44222. All you need to do is to reply to the SMS message with your best email address, and we'll send you the transcript and our guide to navigating visionary states for free as a VIP citizen of Entheonation. Okay. So, like, you know, different shamans, I mean, are there specific ones that you care to mention that he's received, you know, rigorous training from? Not just kind of sat up with a few times, but actually trained with, you know, so-and-so of the Shipibo tribe, or can you give us a little bit more of his background?
2: I actually don't have the names of his teachers, but all I do know is that he has the space that he holds and the energy that is created with the space that he holds that's what matters you know a lot of people are coming at it from the mind thinking of like what's the criteria what's the certification where's the piece of paper and a lot of people don't understand that someone can have 10 years of experience someone can pass a shamanic certification course and get a piece of paper and have all the check marks you know there's a lot of for example Shapibo elders who have been working with the medicine for 10 20 30 years That I'm still hearing from people that they're having horrible experiences with. It's not about the number of years. It's about the energy of cleanliness. How clean of a space can someone hold? And that is the criteria. And so people are coming at it from the mind. They're looking for a mental answer. But this whole journey of the medicine isn't a mental experience. It's not something that you calculate logically and think, okay, because of this, this, and this, this is good. No, it's, this is what this is all about. It's getting out of the mind and into the heart. And that's what this path of the medicine is all about. So what I can say to that is that the energy and the space that we hold is so clean and so high as Referred to, and as people are leaving from our retreats and speaking about how powerful their ceremonies are and how amazing the space that is held is, And it really doesn't matter. Someone can have even one year experience versus someone who has 10 years. It doesn't mean that the person who has 10 years is necessarily better. You know maybe? Maybe likely, But the fact is that it is the space of cleanliness and protection that someone can hold for their guests. That is the most important thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. So let's move on to some other topics that you know could also be related to cleanliness, especially as they pertain to finances. So one of the the questions that you know comes up over and over again is the cost of your retreats and your business model. So just to kind of frame the question. First is we've got, you know, ayahuasca ceremonies in the West and, you know, a ceremony typically costs between, you know, $100 to $250 per person for an evening ceremony. Okay. And this is, you know, within these, you know, communities and groups that are operating on the down low. Okay. Now, if you're talking about um, churches, you know, in, in the United States, churches can cost uh, participating in a church work can cost anywhere between $20 to $80. You know, it's usually donation-based. You know, there's kind of a donation request that is within the reasonable range. But since it's a church, you know, it tends to be community-supported and members, you know, and especially like in Brazil, for example, members pay a monthly membership fee. So, you know, participants can actually join a work for free or participate for a nominal fee that covers, you know, the cost of the, the work. You know, we're looking at, like, medicine and the toilet paper paper and, you know, candles and all of that. So, you know, in other models, like you a more curandero model or in the West where there's like a particular facilitator, the cost of the ceremony is borne by the person leading the work. So, you know, there's a higher cost. So I'm curious to know how much it costs to join a retreat at um, uh, Ayahuasca Healings and what do people receive?
2: Sounds good. Thank you. So, First of all, I want to be very clear about this word that you're using, which is a cost. And the fact is that this isn't a cost. There is no price. This isn't a you give us this much money and we give you an ayahuasca retreat. This is donation-based. And we have received anybody from as low as a $5 donation for a retreat. We clearly communicate on our website that it is a donation and our suggested donation up until this point has been 1500 to $2,000. And the emphasis that I want to have on that, though, is it's not for the ayahuasca that you're giving that donation. It is for the movement to manifest. It is for what we are here to do in the world. It is to support this creation of these healing centers all over the United States for the people. So people... All the people who are actually donating are so happy to be donating to support this movement. Because like I said, it's not about you're giving us money and we're giving you ayahuasca. No, it's about this, what we are holding, these ayahuasca healing retreats. These are like our fundraiser events and the ceremonies are free. But what this is about is gathering money so that we can then build out more centers so that we can help heal more people so that we can make the medicine more available and so people are donating you know if our requested donation is 1500 to 2000 people are donating even double that because they're happy to be able to support what it is that we are doing they understand that we live in a world where no money is what makes it go round and in order for what we are here to create to manifest in the world, the fact is, it takes lots of money. Like, who is going to buy the land, for example? It's the people who are going to buy the land. Land in America costs, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, at least half a million dollars for a good, decent size of land, you know, of what it is that we're looking at are, you know, millions of dollars. The question is, where's is that money going to come from? If we charge, you know, charge, and we ask for a requested donation of, $100 per retreat. The fact is, there will be no retreat center, there will be no church, and nobody will have the medicine. And so, the only way that this is created is through asking for those, those contributions, as this is a solely crowd funded and community funded movement and vision. And at the same time, we are here to help people who cannot put up $1,500 to $2,000. And a lot of people, it's really interesting actually. A lot of people who are complaining about the money, they're people who obviously have a very, not a very healthy relationship with money. But if they actually read the website, they will find out that they have a very high chance of being able to be accepted into one of our retreats at a, very, at a low donation. But a lot of people, because, you know, I, for me, this is what I see, that a lot of people who do not have a very good relationship with money Do not have a very good relationship with their self-worth, with what they believe that they can achieve. And that is why there's a reality with, you know, maybe not that much abundance. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's, it's all beautiful. It's all perfect. Everybody's exactly where they're meant to be. But the fact is, these people who don't have very much money, they don't believe that they could attend the retreat for a lot less than 1500, 2000. We have accepted people for, and our scholarship program brings people in to this, you know, to our retreats, and they're always coming in at a donation of like $500, and we let a lot of people in at that donation amount. And so people actually go through the steps and actually believe that they could, you know, attend one of these healing retreats and have a likely chance to be able to attend and even if they don't have the requested donation, then they'll find that actually we do let a lot of people in for lower donation amounts. And a lot of people do register for and contribute $500 for, you know, their donation. And so, yeah, people just don't understand.
0: So, if it's donation based, then could somebody who's genuinely in need, for example, somebody who's like a war veteran who, you know, may have challenges with money for, you know, very legitimate reasons, can they go to the center and actually receive a full scholarship?
2: A full scholarship, as in completely for free? Yes. We take it on a case by case basis. We believe everything is energy. And in order for people to be, you know, energetically invested, we ask for a minimum of 500, even at the scholarship rate. That will be changing in the future as we build more centers and as we do, as the church does gain, you know, more resources. But right now, the minimum, even for a scholarship position, is 500. But we do allow people to register for even less than that. Like, this, we're not about rules. And, but the thing is, anybody can save $500. Anybody could, if they really want it bad enough, anybody could get $500. And this is about the energetic investment. This is about people say, like, even, so if people are, you know, having a hard time even putting together $500, this is about asking them to really stretch themselves, to put themselves out in a situation where Yeah, like even if $500 is difficult to put together, the fact is in doing that, there's an energetic investment and everything is energy. And so when people are energetically investing themselves into this process, we always find that people get more out of it. Whereas if people are coming for free, then there's not as much of an energetic investment. And so, for example, if if it gets hard, which it does because it's an ayahuasca retreat and it's not easy, it really asks us to look inside of ourselves and our shadows and places in our hearts that aren't exactly pretty. And if someone comes for free and it's difficult, they can just walk away and they have nothing on the line to lose. And yeah, they can just walk away. And they're losing out on their own healing by running away. And so this $500, even for the scholarships, It's to ask people to really energetically invest into their healing process and also to support with the expenses that we have to be able to run something like this.
0: Okay, so do your staff get paid?
2: Yes, our staff does get paid. Some staff gets paid and some staff is volunteers. So... There's some okay. people that get paid, but I, for example, I don't get paid. Me and Mark, we don't receive salaries. All of the money we put right back into the movement to build what we're building, to pay, yeah, our team. Because, of course, people have to feed themselves. People have to you know, put a roof over their head. And if people are on the land, for example, volunteers, what we are giving them is a place to stay, as well as their food, as well as the healing retreats that we also are leading.
0: Okay, so what benefits do they get in addition to their salaries then? Do they actually get any health benefits or, you know, kind of like as employees tend to do?
2: In terms of, so each depends on each person. The biggest thing is that we are here to, of course, take care of the family who is making any of this possible. So if there's anything like in terms of specific benefits, the greatest one is that they're able to attend our retreats for free and so what normally people are donating you know several hundred or thousands of dollars for they're able to attend these retreats for free and that uh, is the greatest benefit is the depth of healing and transformation that they are receiving through being a part of this and also like there's so much that they learn if you were to speak to them or communicate them the greatest benefit is like how powerful this journey is for them in their own healing process so that is what we give to our, the family who is supporting this vision.
0: So do volunteers have to pay for their
2: participation in these retreats? No, they do not. So the volunteers, like I mentioned, they're getting their food and their place to stay for free. And that is included. That is part of the energetic exchange as well. They get to have a seat in these retreats for free as well. So they do not have to pay for these retreats, not at all. Okay. Okay.
0: So I'm curious to know about some of the disagreements that have come up among your core team. And also, it seems like some of your core team members have been speaking out publicly against ayahuasca healings, volunteers even, you know, speaking out against ayahuasca healings. And, um, I'm curious to know what your take on this is. So I want to reference a YouTube video by Scott Montgomery. That is uh, you know asking that you stop your operations and rethink your organization. Uh, what is your thought on what Scott
2: Montgomery has to say? Thank you, so I actually just saw Scott today, probably just like an hour and a half ago, and Scott okay, a- yeah, Scott actually wrote a message to me yesterday, and he was basically just like he was writing to me in response to this dialogue that we've been having. And he specifically said, he's like, brother, he's like, I want you to know that I'm not against you. I'm not against what you're doing. All I want is the best for the people. And in this communication, he's like, I don't like how some people are looking at you as like a cult leader or are demonizing you for X, Y, and Z. And he's like, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that that's not how people look at you. And so me and Scott are on good terms. And the energy that is coming from Scott and how I would respond to that is this isn't for everybody. The fact is there are some people who still live in a world of duality, who still live in the world of good and bad and right and wrong. And the fact is this is all Madre. This is all Mother Ayahuasca creating all of this. This isn't me. I'm just a puppet being played to make this happen in the world. And some people misjudge and look at me as somebody who is, you know, for example, maybe here for just the money, but they don't understand. And that's okay. I'm not here to convince anybody. I'm not here to make people understand or make people agree with the fact is there are so many people who are aware of this. It is absolutely impossible to make everybody happy. Absolutely impossible. And so it's like, as a leader, I have to always make the decision. It's like, where am I going to be able to make a decision that serves the most amount of people? And sometimes that decision might make some people unhappy. In fact, every decision that I make, there's no way that I can make everybody happy. So whether I choose to do this, it'll make these people unhappy. Or whether I choose to do this, it'll make these people unhappy. But the question is, I'm not here to be liked. I'm not here to be Mr. Popular. I'm not here to be friends with everybody. I'm here to create a movement that brings healing to so many people for countless generations to come. And many people do not understand what that takes. And I don't expect them to. And one day, one way, people will see what we are building, what we are creating. And even if they don't understand how we are going about doing that, the fact is that when it is all, built and done and created and the level of impact and healing and transformation that we're here to bring to the world is here, in the physical, then people won't be able to say anything. And so with Scott, for example, one of his personal things was like, you know, we were asking too much money or we were charging too much. But whenever people are complaining about money, it's really about their own personal relationship with money. And, you know, and there's nothing wrong with this. I'm not, everybody is exactly where, where they're meant to be. But Scott doesn't have a very good relationship with money. So he looks at money as something evil and bad, but he doesn't understand that we need money to build something like this in the world. How, how are we going to be able to share this medicine in the United States? How are we going to get land if we don't ask for contributions? How? And so he, and at the same time, from the people who are speaking up about this, I am really here to always listen and to grow and to change what we are doing to serve more people. And at the same time, I'm listening. At the same time, I'm like, for example, one of the things that Scott was mentioning was how we really need to have like an elder being a part of this with us. And yeah, we have a Native American elder, and so that's and that's amazing. We're so grateful for that. And we're also... Going to be bringing a Shapibo elder out to be able to help and support this as well, and so what I would say to you know Scott's video, for example, and other members of the team is the fact that people want to be liked, people want praise, people want to be looked at in a high regard, and the fact is this movement asks us to stand in the heat, stand in the fire, stand in the line of other people's daggers and other people's projections that doesn't feel good to a lot of people. And so some people can't handle that. And that's when people leave. But the people who stick around are the people who understand this is so much further and beyond the good and bad and right and wrong and the duality of this, of you're doing something wrong, no, I'm not. And it's just like, with all of that being said, not this isn't for everybody. Some people can't handle what we are really here to do and the level of energy it takes to stand strong in what we are here to bring in the world. Scott wasn't able to stand that strong with me, with us, to make this happen. And when, you know, things are a little r- r- shaky, rocky, it's easy to run away.
0: So for what I understand four people left your organization due to concerns about the legal status of your church not just Scott but there have been other individuals that were very inspired by your vision and then and then they left so i'm curious to know what was it that you weren't able to answer for them around the legal status or your you know the operations of your organization in general
2: so that is coming from fear you know fear of if they get in trouble, for example, and for every one person who might not want to be a part of this, there's 10 people who do. And it's like, what and how I would respond to that is that these people left, because as I clearly stated, this isn't for everybody. There's a strength that is needed an ability to be unaffected by all the energies out there because there are so much like there's so much happening in this world that has worked to suppress consciousness and the fact is we are waking up as a collective species and this movement is a reflection of that and at the same time there are still a lot of energies that are trying to suppress consciousness Even within the medicine community that you might see, I really look at it like these people are all just, you know, being manipulated energetically by the forces who want to continue to suppress consciousness. And every single one of us on the team, we have like targets on our head and we are basically the ones who, you know, these energies who do not want consciousness to wake up, these energies that are you know, have designed the world to be one that runs off of struggle and misery. The one, like, the energies that have built the world that well, we I'm look kind of,
0: like. I'm kind of curious to you know when you make a statement like that, you know, a lot of the people that are actually speaking up against ayahuasca healings and your organization are people that have been involved for many, many years working on ayahuasca legalization and research and, you know, even, you know, working with this medicine and spiritual path. So, you know, people like Rick Doblin, um, Bia Labate, you know, other individuals that have come forward, you know, Richard Grossman, who has uh, you know give, delivered many talks on ayahuasca? You know they're really concerned about um, you know the approach that your organization's taking. Especially you know I, one one person mentioned it was a bit like you guys were a an elephant walking into a china shop. So, you know, when you're saying that a lot of people even within the ayahuasca community want to suppress consciousness and don't want this kind of thing to happen, how would you address the fact that these people have been ayahuasca activists, you know, researchers, scientists, you know, uh, policymakers and facilitators for even longer than, than you guys?
2: I'm not saying that people within the ayahuasca community want to suppress consciousness. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that there's a lot of energy out there that does want to suppress consciousness. Do you get the distinction? It's not the people that are wanting to suppress consciousness. It is the energies that exist in our world. And so sometimes these energies can come in and manipulate people to do certain things that might not be of service for our awakening. And I'm not saying that's everybody. Like, for example, Bendelonin. I have deep respect for Bendelonin. Because, for example, if I were to contrast Bendelonin versus Gale. Hypine is her late name? Bialabate? I don't know.
0: Yeah, so Gail Hypine is the Ayahuasca Forum's moderator. She's contributed a number of articles related to uh, the legal status of Ayahuasca, which we'll include in the show notes. She published them to Bia Labate's blog, and Bia is an author and expert on plant medicine. She's, you know, written a number of books. So these are all like very knowledgeable people that, you know, seem pretty informed and and grounded and, you know, dedicated to furthering understanding around ayahuasca and plant medicines in general. So... They're highly respected, you know. They're they've got deep expertise, and and they're expressing some pretty valid concerns, deep concerns around the way your approach with ayahuasca healing. So, I just wanted to understand, you know, how you saw that. You know, I can under you know, you're referencing that. You know, there's energies that want to suppress consciousness, and maybe there these energies are kind of causing people to act in certain ways. But you know, I'm not so sure if that would be, you know, so relevant when you have somebody like Rick Doblin, the head of MAPS, saying that uh, the legal status of your organization is quote-unquote a sham?
2: So I'm not here to say that every single person who is speaking up about, you know, what we are doing is being manipulated by energies. What I am communicating, though, is like, and what I was going into with referencing Gail Hypine and Bielabate and Ben for example, is like, There's a very different energy that I feel, for example, from like Ben Delonin versus Biel Labate and Gail Hypine. And for example, with Mm Ben Delonin, like his energy, it's very much about just wanting the best for what we are creating. Ben Delonin is just here to like share facts and to communicate and to open a dialogue about you know how this can happen in a way where this could be really the most successful because we all want the same things. You know, I'm not the enemy here. The enemy is the state of affairs that the world is in. And that is the common villain, quote unquote. And so, for example, that's Ben in. whereas Gail Highpine and Villa Labate, it's like, I feel like they are, the energy that they're coming at me with is just like, it's very, very much a personal thing. There's something that was triggered inside of them Personally, and it's not even about like they don't even want to work together to like make this successful. They're just like pointing daggers and like shooting daggers at me and like saying things that are com- that just make me laugh. And I really just pray for them because they have so much anger in their heart, so much resentment. And it's not me who's the one who is in that anger, in that poison. It is them, and like they're still very much in that reality of good and bad and right and wrong and trying to control. But really, it's like this is all Madre doing everything. I'm not doing anything. I'm listening to my guidance and I'm in every moment and I'm taking the actions that I need to. But really, I just love them. I pray for them that they can stop living in anger and resentment. And I'm here to open a a dialogue with people who are here to be humble human beings, like adults, and be like, okay, this is where I see you can improve, and I'm here to listen. And I am making a lot of improvements. For example, we're going to lower our requested donation, and instead of asking for people to donate everything up front, like before their retreat, we're going to ask for a lower donation just to help us cover our expenses to run what we're doing and then asking people for donations after their retreat so that this can be made more available to people. And like, I'm always here to make changes. I'm always here to listen and to grow. But when people are communicating from a personal projection, from a personal place of attack, then like, it's very difficult to listen to these people. And for example, Gail and Bia it's not like that. I don't feel like there's any part of them that wants to actually work together. And for whatever reason, that's perfect. Bless them, their hearts, their souls, and they'll just watch what's here to happen. They don't understand it, they don't get it, and I'm not here to convince anybody to get it. Just watch that's it. That's all that matters.
0: okay, so uh, we've been talking for a long time, so I just want to you know let you know that we're kind of we're coming to the end of our time together. There's so much that we can continue talking about because this topic is just. So deep and there's so many different levels, but I want to make sure I get through, you know, my my last few questions. So, so I want to ask you this because I'm an online marketer and you know we both you know have a, a similar background on how to get the word out there in the world about you know the different things that we do. And so I I couldn't help but notice that some of the methods that you use to promote ayahuasca healings are actually you know very internet marketing oriented. You know the pricing model that ends in seven and the mass press release of mission, which, you know, I noticed right away when I started to do some of my online research, you know, the telesales model. And so, you know, um, I've noticed that there's a bit of public outcry over the use of these methods to market what many feel to be a deeply sacred tradition around a highly psychoactive plant medicine that is really not for everybody. It's really not something that merits being mass marketed. You know, so I, you know, can understand that there's a place for direct response marketing in business, but I'm curious to know what motivated you to use these message to promote ayahuasca to the mainstream masses.
2: So, I want to first of all agree. Absolutely agree that Ayahuasca is not for everybody. Ayahuasca, in fact the last video that I just made is called Ayahuasca is not the answer. And I go into very clearly and in a very in-depth video, go to explain that Ayahuasca is not a magic pill, it's not an end-all be-all solution that all you need to do is drink Ayahuasca once and your soul will be saved. No, like Ayahuasca is one tool in the path of healing and awakening. And you can absolutely get to the end result that ayahuasca can bring people to without ayahuasca. And it's not some panacea that will cure everything. And I'm very much actually about, and I'm in the process, I'm all about very, making it clear that ayahuasca is not for everybody and it's not the end-all be-all magic pill solution that some people just want. Some people aren't willing to do the hard inner work that it takes to receive the gifts that this medicine can bring. Some people aren't willing to commit to a spiritual practice, whether that's yoga, meditation or breath work, to actually integrate all the parts that all the lessons and epiphanies and realizations that they get from the medicine. And so I'm completely rewriting the information about how we are communicating this because I don't want anybody to ever feel like that is how I'm communicating about it. And now I'm going, you know, I've consciously done that in the past. And now I'm going to go even further into making sure that that's not the, you know, misinterpretation that people are receiving about this. And now in terms of the marketing, quote unquote, the fact is Madre is the one who is doing all the marketing. Madre is the one who is pulling all the strings. There is no amount of me and my logical mind that could have planned for the hundreds of thousands of people to find out about this. There is no amount of me planning this and strategizing this and orchestrating this that could have made this go viral online in Facebook. That's where a lot of like people are hearing about this. And so when you're talking about marketing, it's like yeah, I'm here to help make this message available to the people who are looking for ayahuasca. That's it. And now this message, this understanding of marketing is something I want to go into. See, a lot of people have a definition of marketing that is pushy, that is salesy, that is forcing, that is convincing. And first of all, I don't even resonate with the word marketing. I resonate with the word of service. And that is where I come from. Everything that I do is just to spread awareness of this medicine so that people can have the best experience that they possibly can. So that people are well-educated, so that people can have a safe experience, so people can understand that it's not a magic pill, so people can understand the importance of having such clear intentions and how to prepare before their ceremony, how to integrate back into their life after the ceremony. Everything that I'm doing... It's all about education and service, not about marketing. I'm not here to sell anything. If you look at our information, at like count how many times I say ayahuasca is not for everybody, ayahuasca is not a magic pill, ayahuasca is not for you if blank, ayahuasca is not an end-all be-all solution. And so this marketing that people are accusing me of, it's the fact that we're everywhere. It's the fact that everybody like, sees us and that's happened not because of what I've planned in terms of like a marketing strategy, but because people come to us and they want to do interviews just like this. And these interviews are happening very often. That is not something where I'm doing any outreach and asking people, can I do an interview with you or please interview us? No, every single one of our interviews has come because people have come to us. That's not me marketing. And like everything that I do is just to share For the people who are looking for the medicine, how you can have a safe, amazing journey. I'm not here to convince anybody who is not ready for the medicine. I'm not here to talk to anybody who isn't ready for ayahuasca, but only share this with people who are looking for information and to, I feel like it is my responsibility to be in front of these people and educate them so they know what they need to know to get the best experience that they possibly can.
0: So so these interviews, like, you know, with Vice Magazine, you know, and, and some of these other places, not because you did the mass press release submission and they discover you that way?
2: No, not at all. They, like, every single one of them, it's all come from Facebook. It's all come from going viral on Facebook. Uh, and so, like, okay. you know, we went viral on Facebook. And then one day we even had, like, 25,000 people to our website in a single day. 25,000. And... All of these people are coming to us to do interviews with us. We're not doing any outreach. And so that's how I would respond about this whole marketing conversation. And a lot of people are just misinformed and are believing that because everybody knows about us, because we're everywhere, that I'm doing all this marketing stuff. I'm not. I'm just communicating in a way where I understand how to communicate to people And people are coming to us and people are sharing us because that is what they want to do. It's not because I'm doing any outreach or any marketing to make that happen.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, great. So let's wrap up here. Um, I want to just, you know, thank you so much for, you know, being with me for so long and addressing all these very long, very complex uh, questions. Uh, So I'd like to wrap up with last couple questions is, I'm curious to know, are you genuinely and truly concerned about the future of ayahuasca and its legal status?
2: Concerned isn't the word I would use. Confident and hopeful, faithful, and existing in a place of knowingness are the words that I would use. So I'm not concerned. I'm not fearful. Those. I'm not worried. That's not at all the energy that I come from or exist from. I know that it is time for this medicine to be made available to the people who need it most. There are so many people who are unhappy, who are lost, who don't know what to do with their lives, who are suicidal, who are on the brink of ending their lives, who are having such a hard time in this reality because of the way our world has been designed. That is the common enemy. And that, for anybody who is against this, understand, I'm not an enemy. I'm not here to, like... I'm not the bad guy. I want the same thing as each and every one of you, which is peace, love, joy, freedom for us all. And not at all am I concerned or worried because I know that it is time. That's it. It is time for this medicine to be made available to the world, to the people who need it, especially in America. And that's all that's happening. It's inevitable. It's not me doing anything. I don't take any credit. And it's simply the will of Mother Ayahuasca herself that is making any of this happen. And so I'm not worried about the legality. I know that the legal protection, once we do get our DEA exemption, because we are actually reaching out to the DEA to get that exemption just so that people can stop talking, stop complaining about that. And unlike the UDV and the Santo Dami, for example, the UDV and the Santo Dami were practicing ayahuasca for years before entering a court case. And that's why the UD, that's why the DEA didn't like them. Or that's why these like seizures happened. Because they were practicing for many years and then the DEA came to them. And so we are reaching out to the DEA to get this exemption so that People cannot even question a question about if we are legal. And that's a process that we're already undertaking. And so it's inevitable. I'm not worried, not fearful, not concerned. I just know that this is what's meant to happen. It's just time.
0: So what are your plans on establishing trust within the ayahuasca community? Given all this controversy and, and there's a significant level of distrust and a lot of very outspoken people that are speaking out against you. So uh, given that, you know, I want to bring us back to a place of alignment, which is, you know, for those of us who work with the medicine on many different levels, I think there's a, you know, genuine desire to have there be more recognition of the, you know, therapeutic benefits of this medicine and to actually, to actually have it be, you know, fully protected under the Religious Freedom Act. So, so going back to that place of shared vision, what are your intentions in terms of establishing trust within the ayahuasca community around your questionable status and around the concerns that you know, certain people have expressed?
2: So there's a lot of ways that we are doing this. One is by balancing out all the negative energy by showing the positive experiences that people are having, by showcasing the transformation, the healing that's actually happening every weekend at our church. And so really letting people know and sharing and letting the guests speak for us that this is something that brings so much healing and love to their lives and to the world. And at the same time, I'm in communication with different members of the ayahuasca community, and I am humbly reaching out and communicating and opening up a dialogue, saying, let's do this together. This protection that is inevitable for us to receive, it can be for all of us. We don't have to, you don't have to, keep hiding about your ceremonies. You don't have to keep worrying about, you know, getting in trouble with the law. But this legal protection that is inevitable for us and the Oklahoma Native American Church is something that we can all benefit from. And I'm here to build this together. I'm here to really listen, to hear what you feel has to change, and to make those changes if I really feel like that will be of the greatest service. So for example, like we're making changes one by one, little by little, to actually respond to what the ayahuasca community is talking about for example like people are feeling like it you know the requested donation might be too high so we're going to lower our requested donation and ask for donations after the retreat so that it can really be made more available to the people and some people are complaining that we don't have a indigenous elder and so we have we are getting and we are receiving we already actually have an elder who is working with us and so we are just slowly, but definitely, opening up this dialogue. For the people who want to actually communicate to work together, I'm here to listen. If all you want to do is personally attack me, then bless your soul. I love you. And that's not exactly the way to make something like this happen. But for the people who are really, you know, just here to make the same end result happen, then I'm here to listen and I'm here to work together. So, I'm reaching out, I'm opening up dialogue, we're making changes, and uh, really just hoping for the best and really spreading the message that I'm not the bad guy. The bad guy is the state of affairs that our world is in. That is the common villain. Let's work together to make this happen. That's really it. We all want the same thing.
0: So, if you're open to hearing uh, some, you know, suggestions from the community, can I offer some that came
2: through? Yeah, for sure. Thank you.
0: Yeah. So, Jeffrey Scott Montgomery, who we spoke about before, who you know had that, you know, video on YouTube, he says, "I do believe that ayahuasca healings must stop holding retreats indefinitely until the issues raised by our communities have been profoundly
2: addressed." Yeah, and the one thing that we're not going to do is just stop what we're doing. So if anybody's asking to just, for us to just take down our site or for us to just stop what we're doing, that's not what we're going to do because I don't believe and I know that that is not what is going to be. That is not what is needed. That is not what is going to help the most amount of people. And that is not what is being asked of me the fact is these people are all outside perspectives and they can only give their two cents from their limited perspective the fact is madre has asked me to bring this to the world and i see a vision and i see all the moving parts and i see where this is meant to go in a way that these people don't and so people will say what they're here to say and you know like i said i'm here to listen doesn't mean i'm going to do everything that they say so people are saying you know, like take down your sight or stop what you're doing, then that's not what we're here to do because people are not endangered. People are not at risk of prosecution and working with us and coming to our church. And, you know, like until, you know, and other than that, it's just like, he's going to say this, they're going to say this, I'm going to say this. And really, it's just like, just watch, just let go, surrender. It's all the divine playing out all of this. Stop trying to control. Stop trying to make your you know little mind try to you know control what is happening in the world. I'm not controlling anything. I'm just letting go and allowing this all to unfold. So that's how I would respond to that.
0: Okay, so uh, Benjamin Delunin of Iceears suggests that you change your financial model because you're focused on ayahuasca and claim to be a church, and churches have a small contribution. And, you know, of course, uh, established, uh, you know, ritual practices.
2: Yeah. So we will change our financial model. And I am going to the jungle tomorrow, actually. And so I won't be having very much internet access over the next couple of weeks. But we definitely will be changing our financial model and asking for a lot less of a donation up front and then asking for donations instead at the end of the retreat or after the retreat, or just lowering our request of donation, but still allowing people to donate more if they have the means and they feel the call for this movement that we're here to create. And so I hear that, and I respectfully and humbly say that that is something that we are doing.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Richard Grossman, who is a, a speaker on ayahuasca, suggests you know taking a step back and going into retreat yourself and giving this whole thing that you created a deep level of contemplation. So you're, it sounds, you know, would you be willing to just consider that taking a step back and going on spiritual retreat and really contemplating whether this movement that you're creating is uh, uh, truly, uh, and the way that you are unfolding it is truly the best way for the medicine.
2: Absolutely. I agree. I don't believe in creating from the mind and trying to control what I think, you know, the little I, the mind is trying to, you know, make happen. I believe in just being a complete channel for the divine to flow through. And that's why I'm going to the jungles tomorrow. And is to take some time, is to stop being so in the process of everything that I've been doing, you know, behind the scenes to to take care of administratively, like what's actually been happening for this movement. But to, yeah, exactly that, take time to really reflect, to really go deep, to really stop doing anything in this physical world and be with Madre, with myself, with the guidance that's coming through. And really seeing, you know, if anything needs to change. And so that's why I'm going to the jungle.
0: Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for taking all this time to address uh, these questions. I appreciate you giving these uh, questions some consideration and being here with me to address these challenges. So thank you so much. How can people best stay in touch with you, especially if there are any additional questions uh, or
2: concerns that they might have? They can definitely visit us on our site, ayahuascahealings.com, and I take it you'll provide a link to that. And ayahuasca mm-hmm. is spelled A-Y-A-H-U-A-S-C-A, healings with an S, dot com. And so there mm-hmm. you can find out Know more about us. Feel really the heart behind this movement, and there is a contact form there. If you have any questions or concerns that you know you want to direct towards our organization, so and what we are doing.
0: Okay, great. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much too. I really appreciate you taking the time to bring up all these questions and create this dialogue where, you know, all of these things have been floating around and it was really powerful and is really powerful to be able to openly communicate about them so that we could clear any confusion about who I am, my intentions, what we're doing and where this is going. So I'm only here to make this the best I could possibly be for everybody. And I really appreciate you taking the time to also unify that intention with me. Thank you. Take care. Much love.
0: (laughs) Wow, we covered a lot in that discussion. Thank you so much for sticking with me until the very end, folks. And in case you want to read the episode transcript, you can get it for free by texting entheonation, that's E-N-T-H-E-O-N-A-T-I-O-N, to the number 44222 just reply to the SMS with your best email and you'll have access to our transcript directory and other VIP member content now I'm going to suggest that we get some downtime with the chillaxin melodies of shaman's dream this track is called fire dancers and is from the album the four elements